something the federal government and state governments may learn, like the local government in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. The mayor was notified that traffic was backing up for an hour at a COVID-19 vaccination site at his Seacoast church. And he realized, I don't know how to get this thing moving right. So he called a Chick-fil-A manager. (laughs) Yes, that's right. He called the Chick-fil-A manager. Apparently, he had the manager's number from another friend that he knew who worked there. And they got a hold of the manager, and the manager showed up and did his Chick-fil-A thing for the drive-thru, got everything going, got the back up to about 15 minutes, and they'll be using his expertise in the future to get those drive-thrus up. There's no way that a number of cities and states are going to use Chick-fil-A managers to make the COVID-19 vaccine sites move faster, but they may at least put their tail between their legs and call a professional drive through manager, someone who knows how to keep the ball rolling, and let's get these drive throughs going. There's no reason that you should be pulling up to a COVID-19 vaccine site and have to wait longer than 15 minutes. That's embarrassing. And I don't care if you have to ask Chick-fil-A or not. But bless his heart and bless Chick-fil-A for helping out. Now, let's give him a little bit of cash there, Mount Pleasant. Let's go. I know he donated his time this time, but next time, how about you pay for the professional expertise that he gave you? Yeah, you're welcome, Jerry. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. That's just a small town. So, you know, he was he was just helping out and trying to get people through there. It was nice of him. But I just love the fact that you call the pros. You call the man. The man knows how to do handle a drive-thru. There's no way. There's no Cities don't even want Chick-fil-A being built or opening in their municipalities, let alone calling their managers for help <laughs> to try to speed up the drive-thru. That's not going on. That is not going to happen. So, one year ago, to this date, for those of you listening live on the 26th of January, 2021, the 26th of January, 2020, uh, Kobe Bryant and eight others were killed in a helicopter crash one year ago today. Remember how big a news that was, and it still is, it's just horrific. Right, Kobe and his daughter and six other passengers uh, were in that helicopter crash. Uh, coach Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, her daughter Peyton, basketball coach John Atabelli, his wife Carrie, and their daughter Alyssa all perished in that flight along with the pilot, Era Zabayan. Uh, sad and look we, he was flying in the fog and they're they're still been investigating they've got amazingly thousands of pages of information from this investigation um and did i said thousands 1800 pages to be exact of evidence collected during its investigation we're not going to know they've ruled out mechanical failure 
but we're not going to know a lot of what they know until February 9th when that's when we have the uh, they're making their recommendations to try to prevent similar event from occurring it's just uh, amazing that it's been a year wow it's been a year that was so huge and I mean we all know really what happened right uh, they've done it before they did it before Kobe where they were going to a basketball tournament you don't tell Kobe Bryant no he had the people on flight we're fine let's go we've done it before let's go and they got turned around it was sad didn't know where he was at and crashed and it cost everyone their lives anyway rest in peace to all nine souls that were on that flight and uh you know i mean (sighs) kobe bryant was on the flight so everyone else is almost forgotten that were on this flight right kobe and his daughter were the ones they were the the superstars that were on this flight but all the others on the flight (laughs) their families uh lost loved ones as well so i realize the uh the dichotomy i get it but let's just not forget the other eight people that were on that flight as well okay rest in peace okay uh dominoes you know them you love them no you don't i don't mind dominoes they you know i I used to like them a whole bunch at one time and then i you know i grew away from dominoes and now you know it seems from time to time dominoes shows back up in my life and I'm like, oh, it's good to have you back in my life. It's not you're not, you're better than I remembered. You're more you're more beautiful than I remember. And so then they're back in your life. Well, right now, Domino's wants to take over the world. They want to be the number one pizza brand in the world. Okay. Now, from a revenue standpoint. Domino's is the number one pizza chain in America. That's not enough, though. Okay? Uh, They occupied 22% of the total quick service pizza market in the fiscal year that ended in November. The other major pizza pizza chains captured 30%, and regional chains and independents accounted for 48%, according to data from the uh, NPD group which is a research firm, I guess maybe stands for the National Pizza Dingleberries Research Firm, I guess. I don't know, I I could be wrong. Uh, Domino's, despite pushing $7.1 billion in domestic system-wide sales last year, uh, there's plenty room for growth. And we're talking about around the world, right? So in the UK... They have 1,143 dominoes, and they're looking at a potential of 1,675. Here in America, okay, they have uh, 6,239 stores. (laughs) Now, they believe they've got room for 8,000 stores. So if you're looking for for a store to run, a franchise, the Domino's is looking to expand. You can get in that uh, that window between uh, sixty two thirty nine and eight thousand. 
So as I said, uh, they're looking for 1,675 potential in the UK, Australia potential 1,200, Japan 1,000, Canada 700, uh, South Korea 500, France 1,000. These are all potential. Now they have stores in these countries, but this is the potential that they're hoping to get to. Germany 1,000, <laughs> Spain 350. Ooh, not big pizza. Domino's in Spain. Netherlands, 400. Now, emerging markets. <laughs> India, they're looking at 1,800 franchises. Mexico, 1,025. Turkey, 900. China, 1,000. Oh, they've got to be able to put more Domino's in China than 1,000, right? Saudi Arabia, 450. Brazil, 750. Wow. Domino's is on the move. They are looking to take over the world makes me want to invest in a franchise or two maybe you start uh maybe you start a franchise delivery company that's delivering domino's stuff i'm sure the corporate corporate bosses all do this but uh somebody's got to deliver the dough to these new stores in these emerging markets right i mean there's nothing there's nothing like driving around saudi arabia delivering pizza dough for domino's Am I right? Uh, that's what I thought. I'm right. So I guess in today's world, if you're buying pizza online, you're, you know, buying things online. And according to this, baby boomers, consumers age 65 and up are the fastest growing group of online shoppers. Now, data from the NPD group. Okay. So it must not be the national pizza dingleberries. That must not be what this research group is. According to them, the demographic spent 49% more online in 2020 than the prior year. Well, duh. I wonder what could have caused that. Was there something else going on in the world? Amazing. We got to take a look at that. However, we got to find out this NPD group. Okay. So it's a market research consumer trends company. It's an American uh, company. Started in 1966, based in Port Washington, New York. The eighth largest market research company in the world. Uh, What does it stand? National. It's not the National Pizza Diggleberries, by the way. I just want to be clear. I was wrong. I thought I I could be, you know, I thought I could possibly be wrong at that. I didn't know for sure. It's the National Purchase Diary Panel incorporated and then it's that was 66 to 75 and now it's just npd research inc (laughs) so it doesn't stand for anything it's just the name of the group the npd group okay good good that's that's great glad to know that it's pretty big company research they're doing some serious business anyway uh, they claim their data showed that, uh, like I said, 49% more online in 2020 than the prior year for 65 and up. Well, duh. Okay. I know during, you know, amazing it was during the pandemic and we were all had to shop online. Right. I mean, even if those of us that were shopping online already were forced to shop online even more the last year. It's just 
the way it is. That was just the way it happened. All right. So according to this, 65 and older are the fastest growing group online buyers. Okay. All right. I guess you're right. The fastest growing group. That means that all the other dingleberries have been buying online anywhere. So near the beginning of the pandemic, uh, baby boomers hoarded supplies. Uh, did they? Did they? Or maybe they just felt like, you know, we're going to have a couple extra packs of toilet paper laying around just to be safe, you know? Uh, so they began hunkering down, filling their time with home improvement projects. Yeah, oof, man, I did not do that. Uh, they also took up online shopping with some learning the ropes for the first time. Yeah, it was real difficult. Put in cart. Okay, go to cart. Purchase. Look, it's killing me. So according to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, elderly Americans have bore the brunt. Well, I don't care about the death toll of that. Why are we talking about the risk of COVID-19? We can't do a story about people buying things during the pandemic without at the end saying... Oh, with 65 and over, make 81% of more 400,000 coronavirus-related deaths. And uh, it's uh, those are pre-existing conditions. The risk increases with the age, putting 80 and 90-year-olds at greater risk. We know all that. Oh, my gosh. That's where we're at. We cannot do a story without putting that in there. Unbelievable. And that's because now we've got everybody judging us. So I see where Twitter, speaking of that, unveiled their new thing called Birdwatch. A community-driven approach to combat misleading information. I thought that's what Twitter was, by the way. Uh, that was their own little, they had their little, isn't that their logo? The little bird? Uh, that's what Twitter is? Yeah. Because what Twitter is, is you post something, and whether it's true or not, or it's a joke, or you're trying to be funny or not funny, and people on Twitter say, that's not funny. Or they quote tweet and say, that's wrong. But I thought that's what Twitter was. I guess not. I guess not. Not anymore. Because if you put out misleading information on the platform, oh, man. You've got to have people, part of the Birdwatch program, the community-driven approach, allowing users to add notes to tweets they believe are false in an attempt to add context for the others. So if I am part of this Birdwatch community and I believe, I mean, I might not know, I just might believe that someone's tweet (laughs) is false. So I want to attempt to add context for others looking at this tweet. This is agonizing. We're going to have, oh my gosh, every tweet, every tweet is going to be watched over. Wow. It's just incredible. No account and no tweet is exempt from annotation, meaning users can add context to tweets posted by news outlets, reporters, and elected officials. Ooh. So I don't know if I'm considered part of a news outlet. I'm definitely not a reporter, and I'm definitely not an elected official. So hopefully I'm out. I'm good. I don't need Birdwatch chirping over my shoulder. Just agonizing. Twitter wants to broaden the range of voices that are 
part of tackling this problem. Ugh. Which is why they want a community-driven approach. Sickening. During the pilot, uh, Twitter will be looking at trends and challenges accounts uh, may encounter and said it will welcome feedback from news agencies and reporters. Will it? I didn't offer to be part of Birdwatch. I probably should have. I thought about it. I thought about it. I see where uh, Dana Lash uh, offered to be part of Birdwatch and she got turned down because she'd been blocked or hammered from Twitter before. So if you've had any uh, trouble, if you've been on probation before with Twitter, you can't be part of Birdwatch. Because <laughs> if you've had some kind of probation from Twitter, that means that sometime in the past, you're one of the people that have been out there trying to tweet misleading information. And we can't have you looking over other people sending possible misleading information so just take a hike thanks for thanks for trying to be a part of the community Ugh. wow according to twitter we apply labels and add context to tweets but we don't want to limit efforts to circumstances where something breaks our rules or receives widespread public inf information we want to broaden the range of voices that are Part of tackling this problem, it's a, if I, this whole thing is all about community-driven approach, just driving me out of my mind. So if I feel like someone is giving, if I'm part of Birdwatch, and I feel that someone is giving misleading information, I get to put my little Birdwatch, my little Birdwatch tweet on that. I thought that's what Twitter was. I really did. I thought that's what Twitter actually was was their own bird watch. You see a tweet, someone you follow, and you get to comment on it. Just, we are in a, we are in a very, very precarious place. So, keep your hat on, keep your head down, but keep looking ahead. I'm so glad that we have companies like Twitter, like Disney, that are looking out for us. It's so important for these big companies to be looking out for you and me. You know, yesterday we talked a little bit about Disney and their Hall of Presidents. And they were changing up the Jungle Cruise rides. And I was just reading a story this morning about what they're actually doing. I mean, it's it's horrific, these rides. Oh, my gosh. One scene in the ride shows... Seth, you've never been on the ride? Uh, it's, well, it's negative depictions of Native people. And, I mean... In one scene... An indigenous character named Trader Sam, and I, I don't, you know, it's a, it's, I'm not spoiling the ride for you, but you'll just have to get over it. Uh, is holding skulls out on a string, and the ride skipper who steers the boat around the attraction says, "Sam will trade you two of his heads for one of yours." I know. How do you even get through? <laughs> How do you even get through the ride? <laughs> Oh my gosh. One scene in the ride 
shows several people who are holding onto a tree in order to escape the horn of a rhinoceros. Okay, the character at the top is white, while the rest behind him are people of color. (gasps) Oh my gosh, how can that be? And that's the first thing you think of when you see that. You're not thinking about people trying to get away from the rhinoceros. We are in, they're redoing these rides for everyone. That's great. And they're also, uh, well, I don't want to say censoring, but censoring uh, four of their classic films from Disney Plus accounts. So if you have Disney Plus, uh, children under the age of seven, um, they won't be able to watch these movies. Now they can watch them if you okay it, but these movies have negative depictions and or mistreatment of people of or cultures so they have negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures (laughs) oh my gosh i don't even know how you can make it through the through the movie so dumbo peter pan swiss family robinson and the aristocrats are no longer available for young users of streaming account service of the streaming account service i know I know. And like I said, you can still do it and you know, let your kids watch them, but you're going to have to sit through the 12-second content disclaimer that cannot be skipped, by the way. <laughs> and it also directs viewers to a website called Stories Matter because happily ever after doesn't just happen. Well, it does in a make-believe world. doesn't anyway like i said as i started out i'm happy that these companies are looking out for well my children and i don't want to have responsibility well i do and when when i have to sit through that disclaimer and i tell my kids that disclaimer is bs um does that make me a bad person yeah it probably does it probably does all right let's Well, as long as we agree on that, let's go to the break room and get something cold to drink, shall we? Oh, my gosh. Oh, so good. So, I see this headline. It really kind of ticks me off, actually. (laughs) So, we know Netflix is, uh, you know, they're huge now. They're over 200 million subscribers, and good for them, and it's a wonderful thing. But this headline, Netflix paid just $4.4 million in UK taxes in 2019, despite reaping $1.3 billion from subscribers. Um, I would say, I would read that and say Netflix paid $4.4 million. Um, that's still a lot of money, okay? <laughs> a lot of money for a streaming company to be paying the government uh, 4.4 million in a year. And by the way, it is the most they've ever paid in corporate tax in the UK. So, but because, because <laughs> they reaped in 1.3 billion from British subscribers, those bastards, that's just not enough. We need to tax them more. I mean, that just ticks me off. That just ticks me. We, we're going to have to, we're going to talk about, <sighs> tax dollars 
paying salaries as well uh, before the end of this broadcast today because I read a story today and everybody's, you know, making a big deal out of what Dr. Fauci is being paid. Uh, And he's, you know, a U.S. government employee. But uh, in that inside that story, there's some more goodies that just is agonizing. And we'll we'll get to that as well. I see another story about Netflix saying um, the success of the French crime series uh, Lupin on Netflix riding on the heels of the hit Spanish show Money Heist. They're trying to say that that's a meaning that U.S. dominance on small screen is uh, going away. And uh, European, Latin American, South Korean players are kicking down the doors. Well, Netflix has said that they were going to start creating content from these other countries because these were growing countries. doesn't mean we're losing it here in the U.S. I mean, some of these shows are really good. I like them. So let's watch them. Okay. It doesn't mean America's going down. Plus, there's some stuff coming out now. Uh, maybe not on Netflix, but I mean, there's still plenty of good content on Netflix. But I see where uh, Queen Latifah is going to be, uh, you know, the equalizer now. Uh, that's going to premiere after the Super Bowl on February 7th. I'm kind of looking forward to that. That actually doesn't look too bad. She might be able to pull that off. And I like the character uh, of Equalizer. She is going to be, you know, Robin McCall instead of Robert McCall. If you remember the original Equalizer back in the, I don't know, 80s was Edward Woodward. Uh, I mean, that was like, it was on for four or five seasons. It was, it was great. He won a bunch of awards. I loved it. And let's not forget uh, my main man, uh, Denzel. I did a couple of equalizers himself, uh, films, uh, not for TV. And uh, he wasn't bad. <laughs> uh, those movies are like sawing wood for Denzel, man. He could do those movies in his sleep. No problem. I love him for it. And he's got a new movie coming out, too, called The Little Things which is going to be on HBO Max at the same time that it's released. That's coming up the end of this month. I can't wait for that. That's going to be good. That's got uh, uh, Denzel. It's got uh, Robbie Malik. It's got Jared Leto. Uh, it's about a serial killer in the 80s or the 90s. I don't know. It's about a serial killer. And anything, anytime you have Denzel and even Rami and Jared, and it's a serial killer in the U.S., and it's a movie, I'm watching it. So... Look forward to that coming out. It's called The Little Things. Hey, if you are listening to this right now and you are not a subscriber to this podcast, what are you doing? Um, We don't really like freeloaders around here. So choose a platform that you like. There's a plethora of them out there. Um, To name a few, you've got iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. There's a plethora of other platforms out there, whatever one warms the little cockles of your heart, and become a subscriber to this podcast, Chewing the Fat. Okay? Now, then, instead of just a freeloader, you are now a freeloading subscriber. Everybody loves a freeloading subscriber. I mean, it's true. So, nobody wants, nobody likes you to be a freeloader. 
everyone loves a freeloading subscriber. Okay? Okay, then. So, get over yourself and quit thinking you're cool by being just a freeloader. Become a freeloading subscriber and subscribe to Chewing the Fat. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's what you need to do. And you need to do it today. Right? No messing around. And while you're there, I mean, you're already sitting down, you're looking at your phone or your laptop or your desktop, and you're already subscribing to Chewing the Fat. You may as well go to my YouTube channel, Chewing the Fat, and subscribe there. That too, you become a freeloading subscriber and you just click the little notification bell so you get up, you know, alerted when the new videos drop. Might as well take care of that. You might as well follow me on social media. Twitter is at JeffyJFR. Facebook and Instagram is Jeff Fisher Radio. If Parlor ever comes back, it'll be Jeff Fisher Radio. I mean, that's where we're at right now as far as social media. No, there's a whole bunch of others out there, Jeff. You just don't know them yet. Okay. All right. I know. I know. But let's just stick with the big ones right now. Okay? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if you have questions or comments, you can always email chewing the fat at theblaze.com. Chewing the fat at theblaze.com. And as long as we're here, if you want to become a member, of blaze tv and become a paying member and a paying subscriber to blaze tv that's what helps keep this podcast free then that would be wonderful go to blaze tv.com slash jeffy that'll get you 30 dollars off for a year now there's other plans you can get there as well you get a monthly pass you get an annual pass and you can get a three-year pass the best deal right now is the annual pass save thirty dollars for that year okay it's only 69 dollars for the year for blaze tv promo code jeffy j-e-f-f-y i don't even know if you need that but go to blaze tv.com slash jeffy click on the annual pass and get your thirty dollars off for the year and that's what one of the things that helps keep this podcast free it keeps more voices not less which is we need now more than ever more than ever (laughs) just some of those stories we did today (laughs) where uh twitter is uh you know having uh neighborhood watch come after you and uh disney is saying hey uh you're gonna let your kids watch this and we've decided that this is bad and we're not gonna let your kids watch it okay and if you do that's fine but it's gonna be on you and we're gonna keep a record of it i mean even so more voices not less is more important than ever so we talked about um the patriots owner robert Kraft, uh getting off I mean, you know, being found innocent at the massage parlor. And we talked about the him getting off at the massage parlor, too. Thank you. Be here all week. Uh, now, you know, remember they said these videos were obtained illegally. The police should not have been filming everyone going in. I mean, good for Robert Kraft's attorneys, right? I mean, he took care of everybody on that. Well, now the judge says, hey, yeah, the videos, all those videos, they need to be destroyed. Yeah. 
Uh, they were illegal videos to begin with, and they need to be destroyed. So nobody sees them at all. So if you have a friend in Fort Lauderdale that is able to get a copy of the Robert Kraft massage parlor video, it may be worth something in a you know small period of time when they were supposed to have been destroyed. But I'm not telling you to do that because that would be wrong. <laughs> that would be way, way wrong. Hey, I, also, I told you. Oh, I told you. So Ellen DeGeneres, what's the headline? The show might be coming to an end. You think? Her show's done, man. It is over. She's lucky to still be doing a show now. But they're saying her contract is up. I think she's got another year left after this particular year. So uh, they're saying that they're going to start you know, having negotiations, obviously, uh, sometime soon. And I bet. I mean, I don't even know if Ellen wants to do it anymore. She's doing her game shows and stuff. But it's over. I'm telling you, it's over. There's no way they want that show back on. And they're saying they've got... Now, they're saying in these articles, they're all for Kelly Clarkson and her show. Now, originally, I thought it was going to be... Uh, what's her face? You know, Drew Barrymore. I thought for sure you know, it was going to be her. Although her show's not taken off like I thought it would. And uh, Kelly Clarkson has been... you know, Her show's kind of been taken off. So, we'll see. Uh, if Kelly is going to take her place or not. Now, if I'm Drew Barrymore, I start, uh, I need my promotion team to get on it, like right now, and start promoting my show right now. I need that to happen. Now, in fact, Drew, call me. We'll, we'll get this thing started for you, okay? Because we don't want Kelly. Drew, you know as well as I do. We want you. You need to be the replacement for Ellen, not Kelly. Wow. Now, the only thing is the good thing, maybe, is we give it to Kelly because you never want to be the person to replace the king. And then we just make Kelly look bad and then we take over for her after that. Ooh, that might not be a bad idea. Either way, Drew, call me. Okay, I mentioned it earlier. Um, I want to congratulate uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the highest paid among all 4 million federal employees. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Congratulations. He made $417,608 in 2019. Now, that's the latest year for which the data is available. So he might have raked in a little bit more during 2020, right? So, I mean, that's still, come on now. One of the things that kind of ticked me off in this, though, was uh, it talks about uh, you know him making four hundred and seventeen thousand six hundred eight dollars, and you know he was the face of the White House Coronavirus Task Force under President Donald Trump. He will have made two point five million in salary from uh, according to this if he continues on, which he's obviously continuing on. We're not counting raises that he's probably going to get from the Biden administration. So for the next five years right or the next three years and then he's got you know the last two under his belt they figure 2.5 million 
That's wonderful. Well, I mean, between 2010 and 2019, they figure he made $3.6 million in salary. Now, that doesn't count his speaking fees, investments. Okay. All right. That's right. And I know that uh, everybody's making a big deal out of he was talking to Matthew McConaughey on some some show matthew i don't know if it was a podcast or if it's matthew you know putting on a my i don't know what it was if he's promoting a new lincoln car town car i don't know but he was talking to fauci was talking to mcconaughey and i don't know if they touched on deodorant or not uh whether you know you should or should not wear it might have been a you know pertinent question from matthew anyway uh matthew asked him if uh he had millions of dollars invested in the vaccines and he laughed ha, 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 ha. i got zero matthew no no i'm a government worker i have a government salary do you do you yeah because i know maybe you don't have millions invested in those vaccines like we all heard the rumors but uh yeah, i know you're struggling struggling to get by on your $417,608 salary. I know it's a tough life. I know. I know it's tough. You'll be able to, you know, you may be able to get by. But I love the, okay, so there's 4 million federal employees. 4 million. And he's obviously the highest paid of the 4 million federal employees. I mean, he makes more than the president of the United States of America. Just an incredible, incredible. Uh, I mean, we look, Pelosi earns a couple hundred thousand a year, 223500 for her Speaker of the House gig. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts is going to make 270000 and $700. And Congress... Members of Congress earn 174000 a year. Four-star generals. Four-star generals make $268,000 a year. Woo. That's not a bad gig. That is not a bad gig at all. But one of the things that ticked me off, okay, so we've got, we've got uh, 4 million federal employees. Now, in this story from Forbes, the study was cited by Forbes, said it only included federal employees whose salaries were funded by taxpayers. Um, Dear Forbes, all federal employees, show me where we have federal employees who don't have their salaries funded by you and me. Uh, the taxpayer because I don't see that as something that takes place. (laughs) Uh, We, the taxpayer pay for the federal employees. That's the way it works. I just find that that was just a weird way of making it seem like there are federal employees whose salaries aren't funded by you and me. I just find that really, really, really strange. Another, I mean, they talk about salaries. I mean, Burks was uh, the 
coronavirus response coordinator, she earned $305,972 in 2019. I mean, Pence, the vice president of the United States, the vice president of the United States of America, only makes $235,100 in salary. Okay. All right. But it never talks about how what they get for speakers' fees and books. And you know Fauci in the last couple of years, oh man, he has he has raked it in. And he's worked for the government since, you know, what did it say? Since 2010? I mean, he's actually probably worked for the government, you know, longer than that. But between 2010 and 2019, he was the top U.S. infectious disease expert. So... I mean, that, that, that he's making all kinds of speaker money just to show up and say hi. Hey, hey, how you doing? I mean, come on. That's just agonizing. But just know that he's the highest paid among the 4 million federal employees. But the study only cites federal employees whose salaries were funded by taxpayers. Ugh. So if you're not one of the employees that works for the federal government or has your salary funded by taxpayers, I got a way for you to make a little bit of money. Okay. So how is your afterlife world doing for you? Can you provide evidence of an afterlife? So the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies, BICS, has announced a global essay contest seeking input from scientists, religious scholars, consciousness researchers, and anyone who can provide evidence of an afterlife. So Las Vegas businessman Robert Bigelow, known for funding UFO research projects, has launched this new project, and he says he's going to spend a million dollars to find out. Now, he says he's going to spend a million dollars to find out, and then he goes on to tell us that the top award will be $500,000, second best will be $300,000, and third place will be $150,000. I know I'm not good at math, but five hundred and three hundred and one hundred and fifty do not equal a million. <laughs> okay, I know. Uh, to me, 500,000 plus 300,000 plus 150,000, I don't have a calculator in front of me, so I could be a little off, means $950,000. That is not a million dollars. I know it's 50,000 short, but it ain't a million there, Robert Bigelow. But, you know, maybe maybe he's going to spend an extra 50, another, I mean, an extra 500,000. No, it's an extra 50,000. Yeah. He's 50,000 short of a million. Yeah. So maybe, you know, he's rounding up. He's rounding up. I'll spend a million. Really only 950000 But I need, I'd like to talk to this guy, Robert Bigelow. He seems like a, he seems like the guy you really want to talk to. So he's the founder and owner of Bigelow Aerospace, as well as the hotel chain Budget Suites of America. Who doesn't love to stay at Budget Suites of America? He's spent millions on uh, pursuing two of his, these great mysteries, uh, intelligent life in the universe, and whether human consciousness continues after physical death. 
This guy would be great to talk to. I mean, he spent a bunch of money on investigating UFOs, uh, afterlife. He said his interest in human consciousness and a possible afterlife was largely the result of personal losses. Well, of course. I mean, his father, his son, his grandson, his wife. And they motivated uh, him to find out if his loved ones might still exist in some other reality. We'd all like to know that. So you got a chance. You can write an essay. Uh, and, uh, you know, if he likes it, you'll make a little money. Top three, make some cash. Third, only 150000 Second place, 300000 First place, 500000 I don't know what he's going to do with the extra fifty he's got laying around. Remember, he said he was going to spend a million. You know, speaking of that, I've got an interview coming up uh, in a little bit with a guy who was part of the Netflix show Surviving Death, uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson. And he's like the expert on near-death experiences. I'm, I'm looking forward to him. I'm talking to him, uh, I think, next week. Uh, I think next week I'm talking to him because he's got um, he's got a new book coming out. We'll be able to talk to him about the Netflix series, Surviving Death, and we'll be able to talk to him about uh, about his new book titled After. It's a doctor uh, a doctor explores what near death experiences reveal about life and beyond. Oh, we might have to talk to him about his about Robert Bigelow too, and the uh, you know life after death essay contest going on the doc may be able to win a little bit of cash maybe you know be on board for him just to be nice you know help him out a little bit that's all so i see where (laughs) i see where one in five americans have a great deal of confidence in president biden's ability to make good on his goal to unify the country isn't that special? One in five. That is, that's a strong, that's a powerful, a powerful, powerful poll. 22% said Biden will unify the country. 24% remained highly skeptical. No kidding. You think so? One in five have a great deal of confidence that he's going to unify the country. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's evident with his onward support of the of the uh, impeachment of a man who's no longer in office anymore in fact if you needed to get a hold of that man who's not in office anymore he just uh, set up a new program where uh, if you need to get a hold of him it's the office of the former president (laughs) that is fantastic it's such a jab at the office of the president-elect that donald j trump former president of the united states of america sets up his office and has a statement from the office of the former president that is so so funny but anyway one in five Americans have a great deal of confidence in President Biden's ability to make good on his goal to unify. I don't know if it's the same one in five who, according to the CDC, have sexually transmitted infections. I don't know if it's the same one in five. I'm just saying it's possible that it could be the same one in five. 
but according to sexually transmitted diseases cdc researchers found that 67.6 million people had an sti at any point in 2018 additionally at 26.2 million newly acquired infections Oof. that is never fun the research estimated that uh, the healthcare costs of treating the SDIs were about $16 billion. Wow. I mean, give or take a couple of bucks. So you got chlamydia, trichomoniasis, genital herpes, and the human papillomavirus. I guess those comprise the bulk of STI, according to for nearly, uh, I guess that was 98% of the total STIs. <laughs> Okay, so 93% of the newly acquired STIs uh, were those four STIs. People aged 15 to 24 accounted for 19% of the total and 45% of the newly acquired. So, I mean, people, adults over the age of 24 were still... 55% of the STIs. So you're fine. Don't worry about it. Let's get a little cream and rub that thing out. Wait. (laughs) 